You're listening to an On The Move Media Co. production. Yeah, I mean, I think that two things. One, I just think it's time to go on offense. I think that, you know, we as a cancer community, you know, I'm, I personally am finished uh, laying down to die, you know, allowing companies make billions of dollars off of drugs that don't actually work. So if, if you're an investor in the biotech space, you might have had a great decade. If you're a patient or your child is diagnosed tomorrow, I don't think many of us feel very confident that we have a you know that much of a shot at living as long as we would like to in years and decades. So when we built Shepherd, we said, look, we want to give patients decades, not days, and we want you know 80% response rates, not 30%. So from our seat, it's time for patients to have that autonomy to go on offense. And I think that really, we work with, again, patients of rare, common, newly diagnosed. I think that where we've seen so much impact is for patients that have been told, we're sorry, there's nothing else we can do for you. How many of us or how many of the people that we loved have heard that line from our doctor? And from our seat, that is never true. There is always hope. There is always something to be done. And most of the patients where we've had our most remarkable outcomes have been patients that have been told, just let go, put your kid on hospice. There is nothing else. And we've said not so fast. Uh, and then, again, have watched just some really miraculous things happen. So. That was David Heisong. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, welcome, and welcome back to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. Today on the podcast, I sync up with David Heisong. CEO and founder of Shepherd Health. When David was diagnosed with a rare adenoid cystic carcinoma at 27, he dedicated his life to finding cures for rare cancers and Shepherd Therapeutics and Health was born. During our conversation, David and I sync up about the idea and inspiration behind Shepherd Health, how it all began and where it is now and how he's planning to grow the company. We talk about how Shepherd Health is leveraging the power of AI. He sheds light on their proprietary platform, Delve, which uses RNA sequencing to discern highly accurate treatment options for a variety of patients. We discuss the kind of patients Shepherd Health has been working with and how you can get involved. David also shares why the healthcare system in general needs an overhaul as it relates to cancer treatment. This is an incredibly inspiring conversation. I hope you enjoy. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple. It is easy. Head over to the Apple app wherever you get the podcasts. Click on Marnie on the Move. Scroll through all the episodes. Click on the five stars and click on the tiny, tiny print that says leave a review. Tell us what you love. Also, share this episode on your social channels and we will tag us and we'll tag you back. Now on to my conversation with David. What inspired you to start it? When did you start it? And talk to me a little bit about Shepherd Therapeutics. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and a, a week or two to be reborn as Shepherd Health, uh, which kind of falls into the story, which we'll get to. We're launching 
kind of a direct-to-patient initiative across the country, which is really exciting. Uh, I started the company because I was diagnosed. Uh, so I was, um, so my quick kind of backstory is I was working against human slavery in Southeast Asia, in Cambodia. I uh, had trained up for the Navy program for a few years. I got hit by a bus while I was on a motorcycle. And so just destroyed my body and had a few years of surgeries and rehab. And so ended up at Harvard for grad school, retraining, trying to go out to the SEAL selection process in Coronado. And so made that successful rehab, got picked up. And so went out and completed officer assessment and selection, which was just a life defining experience. The very, you know, the very first gate to do everything that those guys do. So just all respect and hats off to them. They're incredible men and incredible athletes. Um, but I had a rare head and neck cancer the whole time and didn't know it. And so I got really sick in training, um, you know, passed out, coughing up blood, the whole thing finished, you know, you have two choices out there to quit or keep going. So you keep going. And then on the back end, they said, look, this is really serious. Make sure you, you know, get to the bottom of this. And it turned out that among other things, uh, there was a rare head and neck cancer that I had. So, yeah, so that was 2015. Um, so I think the same mentality, you know, kind of was in me. So I decided to dive in, know my enemy and, you know, take a radical responsibility. And so what I found was, uh, well, there's a whole story around, you know, why this is the way that it is. But the bottom line up front is that the majority of cancer patients in the United States of America do not have effective drugs if they have drugs whatsoever. Uh, there are, you know, 400 give or take distinct forms of cancer. That's per Memorial, Memorial Sloan Kettering, excuse me, in New York. Um, the majority of those are, quote, rare forms of cancer. Uh, so kind of the top couple dozen make up the majority of kind of more common cancers. And so the economic incentives are just such that the drugs that have been made historically are for those largest groups, which make the most money. You know, you can call it corruption or just call it the economic reality of living in a capitalist society. It is what it is. So I dove in, tried to change that and said, look, I'm going to found a company that initially sets out to create the drugs that no one else will make. And that morphed into the company that we have today, which is doing that, is uh, driving drug development with biopharma companies. Just yesterday uh, had a really exciting development. We are setting up our first drug development company. Um, with some wonderful people in the space, which is great. Uh, but the biggest thing that we do is, so every single cancer patient uh, has a unique fingerprint, just like you would in normal life, and their tumor has the same thing, right? So if you and I, Marnie, had the same cancer, same body part, same day, same location, uh, we actually would have a different genomic fingerprint and very likely should get different drugs. And that's not how we typically have treated. Um, so add that the fact that we don't do that to the, the reality that most patients don't have anything. They don't have effective, uh, more modern drugs. People, I think, usually say things like, oh, I got chemo. Well, there's like a, more than 100 types of chemo. Um, it's a really diverse set of options out there. So if you're lucky enough to have something, uh, a drug and even treatment guidelines for your doctor to follow, you know, that's the first step. Then the second step is what should you be getting? Because if we, again, had the same cancer, even if we look similar at the beginning, we start to look very, very different as we go forward on our journey. So we match patients uh, based on their entire genomic signature. Uh, we can get into the details if you want, but uh, based on what they look like at that specific moment in time so that they can get really personalized therapeutics. Um, so we can dive in more of the company if you wish, but. Shepherd Health uses artificial intelligence, AI, proprietary algorithms, to inform best treatments, and you're also getting this information through RNA signatures, correct? That's right. So typically, you know, people will be familiar with DNA and the genome, human genome project. So there are different types of, quote, genomic information 
transmission. We focus on something called RNA, which is a little bit more robust. It's DNA put into action. Right. Um, and we look at all of it. So typically other, you know, more personalized medicine companies out there will look at a few hundred genes out of tens of thousands. We look at all of it, all of the raw data. Uh, so instead of a few hundred, you know, 20,000 plus. And then we pull out the signature. So we're looking at where a drug has been most effective already. Mm -hmm. And then basically what are the RNA characteristics of the highest responding patients or models so that we're, you know, we're not just identifying what we think the drug does across all patients. We're saying, who are the patients that have, you know, Lazarus type responses? What do they have in common? Let's look for those characteristics in the patients that we're working with and helping to treat. And so if you can match those two things up then you can, again, see some really remarkable patient responses. So it's just highly bespoke therapeutic matching for patients. And so how are you bringing this more mainstream? So as a patient myself, I always had kind of a big chip on my shoulder and also a big hunch, which is that, you know, to date, we're, we're never on offense when you're diagnosed. You're always on defense. Right. You go, you know, where your insurance tells you you can go, you get the tests that they tell you they'll pay for. You're really kind of, you lack a lot of autonomy and agency, and it's so frustrating. And it's, you know, there's a wonderful wave of, in the consumer health world, and really kind of across the board, more and more in healthcare, of patients taking radical responsibility going on offense. So I had always wanted to build a direct-to-patient company, uh, obviously working with top hospitals and insurance companies, et cetera, but I wanted to put this power in the hands of everyday patients and say, look, this technology exists. It's not just at the best hospitals, not just for the wealthiest. I wanted to make it very democratic and available so that anyone on the street, you know, anywhere in the world uh, can come to Shepherd and say, I want Shepherd, and then we can work with their physicians to then make that available. What are some of the biggest challenges you face while developing all of these treatments and programs for rare cancers? Being a complete outsider is the first thing that comes to yeah. mind. Um, there aren't many, you know, patients and certainly people with my background in this space. Uh, I really think it's been it's been a big strength in terms of the ways in which it has enabled me to think and build and creatively and differently. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, it really is. We have a wonderful, wonderful group of advisors and uh, team members and people that have joined the cause and joined the fight, so to speak. I mean, they're the very best in the world at what they do, and so they've seen the outcomes and the way in which really that not only the creativity, but the mission orientation of the company mm -hmm. um, and what we've set out to do is, is so different. But again, if you're seeking to build a new worlds or to take on entrenched interests and change the way that things are done, that's always an uphill battle. Um, it's one I think that I revel in fighting and also feel like I have a responsibility to fight on behalf of other patients that aren't in my seat. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're, we're not just trying to build a company. I think that we're starting, you know, trying to, just up in the entire process of how patients are treated, um, which is no small undertaking. So I guess, you know, one question I have is, you know, how many different types of rare cancers are there? And what are some of the ones that are like on a scale? Like, you know, what are the ones you're, you're able to sort of like tackle initially that are maybe bigger than ones that are even smaller? So uh, there are, Call it, give or take 400 different types of cancer right. um, that is kind of recognized in the literature. About 380 of those actually qualify as rare. Um, those 380 account for five or 600,000 new diagnoses out of about 1.9 million. So the you know, small aggregate numbers account for about a third of all patients. And so we, we really push to so the platform is, is pan cancer. It works for any type of cancer regardless, because again, in our world, everything is based off of this genomic fingerprint. 
uh, everything. Right. So even if you have, and so we really push back on, you know, cancer is a word that's 2000 years old. Uh, talking about lung cancer is like saying you have leg disease. It means nothing because it's just saying where the cancer is at in your body. How do you treat it? So we're trying to move more and more for people to understand everything should be understood genomically so that you can differentiate. And at that point, even if you have a common form of say lung cancer, uh, you have characteristics that one differentiate you right up front from other patients. Basically every patient is a rare cancer patient. Right. And then beyond that, again, as you are treated with drugs, um, as you are exposed to different things, as you go on your cancer journey, that fingerprint starts to change and it looks different than a patient, you know, right next to you. So. And now are you, how are patients able to connect with you? Yeah. Uh, right now, directly, directly through the website, directly through any sort of, you know, portal that we run. So we launched our, um, we've been working in beta and pilot phase with uh, Mayo Clinic and a national consortium of hospitals uh, over the past two years. So we are just now, as of January, uh, we kind of soft launched a few months ago, have had patients come in organically. So we're just now starting to drive um, so that patients can just come directly to the Shepherd website and then basically order a test right then and there. So they get a test, the RNA test? It is. So they, we have to have, so p most patients when they are diagnosed, they'll have a tumor biopsy taken. So the doctor tries to, again, take the tumor out so they can kind of look at it uh, in the lab right. and look at what's going on. So we do have to have that. We need to have the tumor biopsy. And then, yes, we have that sequence. Oftentimes that's already been completed by the hospital or by another company. And then we operate off of that raw data. Um, so basically once the tumor biopsy is, has been taken, we ingest the raw RNA from the, the sequencing and then everything runs off of that. And then you recommend a drug or treatment. So then we identify, usually it's, it's fewer, usually it's anywhere from three to six drugs will come up for a specific patient. Okay. Um, we always recommend, especially for more severe cases that just like an HIV, that cancer needs to be hit from multiple angles. Okay. So once the drugs, so we only recommend drugs that pass that threshold of, look, these have enough in common with the very highest responding models that we think the patient will have a really strong response. So we don't really, you know, mess around in, in middling areas. Right. So once the drug passes that threshold, then we work with the physician and it's ultimately up to the treating physician to kind of select that. Um, so, and he might know things, he or, or she might know things that we don't know. Uh, so they have the kind of best sight on the patient. They're the patient expert. Think of us as the RNA precision medicine expert that kind of arms the doctor with the very best information and tools possible. All right. Hope you are enjoying this conversation. Just jumping in here to give a shout out to today's sponsors, Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. It transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science backed nutrition recommendations you need to optimize your health. Get 20% off today at insidetracker.com slash Marnie on the move. So you're like a resource for the doctors and for the patients because Correct. doctors are, as much as they are trying hard to help people, mostly operate in panic mode and as emergency physicians. And this is super helpful for them to kind of open their eyes and expand their horizons. And I'm sure their mission is to help people. It's just that they probably have a lot of people they're trying to help. The best doctor in the world is only as good as the tools they have in their hands at that moment. Yeah. Like you said, you know, they're, they're seeing a patient, they're having to make decisions in a few minutes. And so they're really reliant on what information they have available. So 
absolutely position ourselves as an ally and a partner both to patients and to doctors to help them make the very best call. And a lot of the time, drugs are not approved by the FDA for certain treatments. For certain, So talk to me a little bit about that. That is maybe, you know, one of my biggest soapboxes to stand on. So, yeah, so the FDA, you know, approves and labels drugs based off of the trials that are paid for by large, you know, for-profit companies. There's not a single drug on the market that has not been developed by large pharmaceutical companies. I'm not sure the public always understands that, that, you know, we spend money in the federal government and academic centers. Every single drug out there, especially in the cancer space, is, you know, maybe initially funded by academic centers or the government, but the government is not in the business of approving drugs. Um, so everything has to go through a process. And so then when you're a company, you know, you have to make certain decisions based on how much you're going to invest. So yes, typically it just works out that your obviously your biggest money-making indications or groups of patients are what a company is going to prioritize. Right. A drug might work in a dozen others that are smaller, um, it might even be better in those indications, but if they're not going to produce the type of financial return, the drug simply won't be approved. So my head and neck cancer, adenoid right, cystic carcinoma. I was just going to ask about that. Yeah. Not a single chemotherapy has been shown to work out of more than 100. And out of more, we're nearing about 150 more modern targeted drugs. Not a single one has been approved for my disease. Um, I represent the reality for so many patients. Uh, so again, most every pediatric cancer is rare. Uh, patients... Again, hundreds of types of cancers are rare. So patients with rare cancers are already from the start kind of left out of the whole development paradigm. And then as I mentioned, even if you have a common form of cancer, once you start to mutate or the cancer comes back or starts to metastasize, it looks much, much different than it did at first. So the drug that might have been approved in your cancer one, let's you know, just note here that a lot of times drugs are approved when patients have a few extra months of survival and it works in thirty or forty percent, right? The bar is really, really low even if you you know were eligible for that drug up front, later on you won't be. So we really specialize in providing options for the, I mean, millions of patients at this point who do not have an approved drug, oftentimes don't even have treatment guidelines for their doctors to follow, and who honestly likely never will because of how the system is set up and the incentives at play. What is the normal process if somebody is diagnosed with a rare cancer? Like they just do generic, I mean, you can't speak for every single person, but yeah. Yeah, I can't speak for every single person or every single doctor, but again, a doctor is only as good as the information they have. So typically doctors, if the patient and type of cancer is lucky enough to have a treatment guideline, we have these things called NCCN guidelines. Um, Most of the time for rare cancers, they're 50 years old, they're decades old. So oftentimes a doctor will refer to that or they'll do some sort of generic, you know, kind of generalist shotgun approach to treating cancer with some sort of chemo and radiation combo. We talk about cut, burn, poison, uh, surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, right? These are non-targeted, more kind of toxic treatments. Uh, That typically is all that we do. You know, we can admit that oftentimes doctors will continue to give drugs they probably know won't work, but just in the hope that something might. Um, And that really is all that they can do for the most part uh, outside of having more advanced information. So, And what is the, I guess, the life-saving combination that helped you overcome the cancer that you had? Uh, mind, fate, destiny, and dumb luck, quite frankly. Um, so again, Shepard was not around when I was treated, so there were no drugs that I could take. I actually had my cancer cut out while I was awake under local anesthesia on accident without having images taken at Harvard University. Uh, so you think about healthcare disparities, and really bad care can happen anywhere. Yeah. Um, I switched over to Mass General after that, and then I had a second surgery. I was due to have eight weeks of local radiation of my entire head and neck. 
Um, I had no idea just how terrible that would have been until I saw other patients going through it. So I actually got to walk in and have them tell me that they thought it would do more damage than good in my wow. specific case, um, which was both wonderful and also terrifying to know that like, there's literally nothing that they could do for me. Yeah. And the one thing they were going to do, they decided not to. So it was a blessing and a curse. Um, and again, even if it had been there, there weren't any drugs. So at this point, people ask me this all the time. If my cancer came back tomorrow, uh, I would do and only do exactly what came out of Shepard um, and would make certain that my doctor was willing to work with us. So Yeah. And so I just out of curiosity, because health insurance is expensive and mm -hmm. drugs are expensive. So how do you work with patients to, you know, meet whatever their budgets are or, you know, make it cost effective? Absolutely. Or is so it we not, thought a lot yeah. of no, it is. And so we thought a lot about, so one is you know, the goal is to make this globally accessible. You know, right. we have a, a very, I want to, you know, penetrate the market, make this available to every single person around. So we very much go off of a high volume, low cost model. We are mm -hmm. a business. So I want to be able to do this. Yes. For whoever's child, you know, might be listening, but then the next one and the next one and the next one. So I right. really want to build a sustainable business. So we've landed on a, a price point of 1500 bucks for the full test, which is one of the cheaper medical That's expenses great. that people will see. Yeah. Um, Working towards reimbursement with insurance companies, the reality is it's probably a few years to get to there. Yeah. But we're really trying to position ourselves as, look, 1500 bucks. We never turn a patient away. If they can't pay, they fill out a compassionate care form, and we work with them to make certain that, again, as a patient myself, I will never, ever turn a patient away that can't pay. Um, and then the long-term play of the company is, of course, to get insurance companies and whatnot to pay for this yeah. as well. So. That's amazing. And so is there anything out there that exists that is similar to what you're doing that you can look at as a model or role model, not maybe in the same exact, obviously, thing or, you know, not related to cancer, but anything that's out there that's proven? Yeah, it falls into two categories. Um, Shepard is the only company and platform that I would trust. Um, I will say that. That said, the kind of early players in this space, some of the listeners might be familiar with larger companies like Foundation Medicine or Tempest. Okay. These are, you know, multi-billion dollar companies that have been around. Um, they paved the way and were yeah. kind of early pioneers, but they did really limited stuff. So it was looking at, again, a few hundred genes, uh, nothing more sophisticated. Is the gene present or not that the drug is supposed to work on? From our uh, viewpoint, a drug oftentimes is so much more complex than simply the target that it hits or what they say about it. Um, so again, our platform really pulls out everything that makes a drug work. So instead of one gene leveraging DNA, we're focused on you know, 50 to several hundred via RNA that really kind of make up the signature. Yeah. So Foundation Medicine, Tempest, um, there are a number of smaller companies that are working in the space with physicians. I'll mention one that we really admire called CureMatch uh, okay. with Dr. Rizal Kuzrak. Um, but again, they're still primarily leveraging DNA. We are, to my knowledge, we are the only RNA-focused kind of whole transcriptome, whole genome approach out there. Um, so a lot of pioneering work in the space that I want to give people credit for. Yeah. But again, if my cancer came back tomorrow, Shepard is the only company that I would trust. The reason I ask that is because sometimes like when you're a pioneer and you're doing something so kind of innovative and game changing and then in a space where, you know, there's a lot of government and red tape and things that, you know, it's good if there are companies out there doing something similar or have done it or that have paved the way that you can like look at and pivot or at least gives you some kind of hope or optimism that what you envision can be a big success because it's, it's, I mean, this is major. It is, it is absolutely. I mean, it's really building a whole new world. Um, you know, I think that 
there are other companies that have helped pave the way, just kind of the, the thinking. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, you know, people ask, well, how are you, how do you differentiate or how do you, you know, distinguish yourself? At the end of the day, however you arrive at your answer, the main thing that matters is how good is the drug. Right. You know, how much does it work for a patient? Right. So, you know, we were really excited. We worked our very first patient was a rare pediatric patient that had a, a disease called rhabdomyosarcoma. Uh, I actually have an employee that lost a son to that, whom I met three days before he passed. Uh, she went through 12 different you know, second opinions from physicians, finally got the type of foundation medicine, more limited approach right at the end of his journey. And at that point, there was just nothing that they could, that they could do or identify. Right. So Mayo Clinic, same doctors, uh, same disease, different patient. Uh, she had failed 12 different drugs, four years old, uh, intubated in the ICU on oxygen. And so we sequenced her, ran her through the platform and came up with a, a personalized two drug combination for her. And so the Mayo Clinic and Cleveland Clinic doctors selected that. Uh, three days later, she was playing with a puppy out of the ICU. And two weeks later, she flew home. Wow. Um, so unbelievable. I still remember the moment I got that email. And so I mentioned we joined a national consortium of hospitals after that working primarily on pediatric right. patients that others the doctors hadn't given up on them, but they just had no idea what else to do right. um, and continue to see some just amazing, amazing outcomes. And so this was proof to us that it doesn't take, Shepard is not a wonder drug or silver bullet. We are using right. a high degree of complex information to match patients with existing drugs that can make a huge difference and maybe even save their lives given what we have today. And RNA and leveraging the power of that technology is Major. I mean, RNA is what was used to protect us all against COVID in the early days with the Pfizer vaccination. Yeah. And I mean, so RNA, it's interesting because RNA had, has been used in academic settings for you know a decade or two now. Yeah. Uh, a good friend and advisor to our company is Dr. Keith Flaherty. He you know, runs clinical research for all of Mass General. He's co-founded, I don't know how many companies at this point. He's who we're setting up our drug development company for or with alongside. Um, and so Keith says, like, look, RNA has been around and academics have known for a long time that it could be leveraged, but no one had really jumped and commercialized it, made it available to the public. So COVID accelerated all that. Uh, and then absolutely, as you said, it's, it's so powerful. There's so much more robust information there that we can interrogate. And then the big thing is that you know, we leverage, again, machine learning, AI, but mathematics, advanced white box mathematics. And so RNA is great because you can bookend it and you can, you can fully interrogate it. Whereas yeah. if you look at more other types of information, like people talk about proteomics and whatnot, we don't really know how many proteins there are in the human body. So RNA, we can quantify, we can bookend, and we can say, okay, math and computers, go do your thing. Tell us what matters most. Uh, so it's really, really powerful, and it's really exciting to see. So it works similarly where it's almost like a picture of like what's going on in your body. Yeah. Yeah, so think of it again as like if DNA are the letters, RNA is the sentence or the paragraph. It's, Got you know, it. the letters put into work. It's, you know, being transcribed and then RNA turns into proteins. And so that's how the human body kind of gives us instructions and then our body actually does the things. And so then when things go wrong, like in cancer, you know, you can just, when you see the thing in action, you're able to pick out much, much better what is amiss, what is off, what is mutated, um, and then again, seek to correct that, so... And you mentioned when we started chatting that you're shifting the name from Shepherd Therapeutics to Shepherd Health. So what is the sort of thought process behind that? Yeah. So, I mean, I always wanted to build, again, a patient first company by patients for patients uh, for patients around the globe and around the country. And so we are launching that initiative. And so okay. um, kind of separating the two applications. So Shepherd very much wants to be involved 
and making certain that every new drug reaches as many patients as possible. So hence the kind of biopharma drug development push. But I wanted to build a company that was just focused on making patients healthy, hence Shepherd Health, and hence a kind of rebirth. Talk to me about Delve. Yeah, so that's that's the that's the internal name for the platform and basically the team that built it. Uh, it's it's a wonderful group of absolutely you know brilliant minds, misfits, uh, the best in the world, people that have never worked on this before. I mean, it's it's a really really interesting group of people: mathematicians, computer scientists, engineers, you know, drug developers. So that's the you know, kind of like the internal name and the mascot that we call it. We call okay. it the Delta team. So cool. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, the, the one of the note is, is really cool is that what we've been focused on is, is just, it's the heart and core of our platform and our right. company, but it's just one of about 50 different things. So, you know, the advents of computation and all this, the technology that's, I mean, taking over the world today. I mean, obviously, you know, yeah. GPT and OpenAI are in the news, artificial intelligence, and even just advanced the application of advanced computational power in mathematics is just making things possible that were never even feasible before. So we think of a world in five years created by Delve, where when you go to the doctor and are diagnosed with cancer, Shepard's able to, to tell you everything about you as a patient, not just what drugs you should get, but are you likely to metastasize? What type of treatment protocols should you be receiving? Um, what are the other elements that will go into how, how toxic will a drug be based on your body? A, right. a drug toxicity might differ from patient to patient. So basically, you know, producing a platform that can tell a patient everything that they need to know before they even begin treatment so that we're optimizing exactly what a doctor says and does. And so as a company, you know, what are some of your goals short term, like for 2024 that you're kind of embarking upon as we are in the new year? Uh, when this drops. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the, I think the first and most important one is, again, making this available to patients you know, anywhere around the country. That's always been a dream of mine. We've been working to kind of build out the assets, the website, the patient experience. Uh, you know, it needs to be user-friendly and beautiful, and it needs to feel like an Apple product for patients and doctors to really kind of be able to relate. That was always a big piece for me is, you know, patients don't understand. The, I mean, I was a Harvard-educated cancer patient. And I had no idea what my doctor was talking about. So the ability to translate all of that information and make it really user-friendly so patients feel that like they're empowered, feel like they're on offense, feel like they were a part of the fight, not just kind of like in the sidecar uh, is huge. And so, you know, with that, we are uh, launching a big campaign. I mentioned the drug development company that will, and really is looking internationally. So to develop drugs around the world in India yeah. and Africa and other places that don't have those as well as the United States. So very mission oriented. Um, I'd always wanted Shepard to also be built by people as well. So we've had some you know, wonderful investors to date um, that have just been very, very aligned with our mission. So we are launching a big community rounds where basically we're asking patients and doctors around the country to help us build this company and mm -hmm. say, look, have an early piece of ownership. You know, typically the general public can't invest in a company until it goes public. So you invest in Facebook at 50 bucks per share instead of 15 cents. Um, so we wanted to give patients the chance to kind of early on help us build this patient piece of the company to make certain that it is built. Uh, I'll say that even as successful as we've been in these patient outcomes, uh, it's remarkable how many investors out there have no interest and say, well, why are you building a patient company? Like there's so much more money to be made elsewhere. Yeah. So it's been frustrating, but it's also been lovely to realize that we're not alone. There are other big investors and you know the perception from people on the street has been, how do I help? How do I get this? How do I tell everyone I know about this? Um, so really hoping we can build kind of a groundswell of patient support. That's awesome. And 
what about like personally? I know you're training for one of the four desert races that we talked about. So is that sort of like your personal 2024? Well, also, I'm raising a three-year-old son right now, so oh. I think that kind of, yeah, so I have a little <laughs> that. boy. Um, that, so that takes up quite a bit of time. So I really, I feel like if I'm not training, working, or sleeping, like I'm doing something wrong, I kind of feel guilty about taking time. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that really is life these days, and it's fine. You know, I think that when you find your place to stand, uh, your contribution to the world, and then, you know, personal responsibility of raising a family, that's that's a pretty full plate. Why is now such an important time for people to take charge of their health, to ask deeper questions, and to work with a company like Shepherd Health to help them and empower them with the information they need. Yeah, I mean, I think that two things. One, I just think it's time to go on offense. I yeah. think that you know, we as a cancer community, I'm, I personally am finished uh, laying down to die, You know, allowing companies make billions of dollars off of drugs that don't actually work. And so if, if you're an investor in the biotech space, you might have had a great decade. If you're a patient or your child is diagnosed tomorrow, I don't think many of us feel very confident that we have a you know that much of a shot at living as long as we would like to in years and decades. So when we built Shepherd, we said, look, we want to give patients decades, not days, and we want you know 80% response rates, not 30%. So from our seat, it's time for patients to have that autonomy to go on offense. Um, and I think that really we work with, again, patients of rare, common, newly diagnosed. I think that where we've seen so much impact is for patients that have been told, we're sorry, there's nothing else we can do for you. How many of us or how many of the people that we loved have heard that line from our doctor? And from our seat, that is never true. There was always hope. There was always something to be done. And most of the patients where we've had our most remarkable outcomes have been patients that have been told, just let go, put your kid on hospice. There is nothing else. And we've said not so fast. Uh, and then again, I've watched just some really miraculous things happen. So Great. I noticed that you talk a lot about kids. We've gotten, I mean, honestly, to date, we've probably worked with the fewest elderly patients. It's been kids, young adults, yeah. 30, 40 year olds. I mean, really the age, I think we've worked on 38 different types of cancer so far in the last couple of years, um, you know, with patients that really kind of span age groups. Yeah. Uh, obviously the pediatric patients are just very near and dear to our hearts. Right. Um, but we've seen this, I mean, I think whether you're 220 or 65, right? You, you'd like to have a few more decades, you know, at least, if not more than that, so. Yeah, and also it's like the quality of your life and longevity, which people are going to be living longer, so. They are, and it's critical. You know, the, the Shepherd platform can distinguish between, you know, typically we think of, you know, generics the same as the name brands. We think of, well, if, you know, if it's, I don't know, ibuprofen or, you know, Tylenol right. in the cancer world, if we think it's, it's chemotherapy, you know, they're all so different. So the platform is able to distinguish between different types of chemotherapy, different drugs where a doctor might say, oh, these all do the exact same thing. And from our seat, they don't at all. They're all extremely unique. And a lot of times we'll see a patient will say yes to one and no to three others that are supposed to be the quote, same drug. So, and that speaks to what your point, quality of life is just as important. I want to survive cancer and be able to go run, you know, an ultra marathon after it, right. uh, not survive cancer and not be able to live the same life that I was used to. So yeah. I think we're in the business of, you know, coming alongside as a guardian and a partner for patients to go on offense and then helping them, you know, resurrect or reclaim the life that they, uh, that they left behind, that that's, that can be a part of their future as well. That's awesome. Well, I am rooting for you, and I am so glad to meet you at this part of your journey in building this company. I can't wait to see like how Shepherd Health grows and evolves, and I want to hear all about your ultra when you do it. I You'll have will, to come I back on. You. 
<laughs> I will. That'd be lovely. If when I've completed, that'd be great. Awesome. Marty, it's been great meeting. Yeah, it was great to again. talk to you as well. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events. 